Welcome to Fratello on Air, a podcast brought to you by members from Fratello Watches. I'm Mike Stockton, coming to you from Frankfurt am Main, Germany. I'm Robert Jan. I am coming from uh, The Hague, or as we say in the Netherlands, Den Haag. Welcome. Welcome. So this is our sixth episode, and I got to tell you, RJ, I think we made a mistake. I should have... Yeah, I should have pushed uh, for our fifth episode because I, I found out in Europe um, you guys like these uh, jubileums, you know, anything that ends in a zero or a five. We should have made a limited yeah, edition do. watch, you know, should have made a limited edition watch just for episode five. What do you think? We should have. <laughs> I think there are a lot of brands that would have uh, loved to help us out. <laughs> All right. So I, you know, I know we're human uh, when we start a conversation with the weather, but it's amazing how when we started this podcast, it was roasting hot and now it is decidedly much different. I don't know what it's like there in the Netherlands, but I guess it's the same. Yeah. Yeah. Rainy and and windy. And um, I'm at the seaside and uh, so it's always a bit windy, but uh, I don't mind it, but I mind uh, rain and wind, that combination. So Mm. um, yeah. It has become uh, autumn, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this is really, if I were in the U.S., this is football weather and where you uh, do a lot of tailgating and that kind of thing. But in Germany, sadly, none of that. So, I heard from a very reliable source mm-hmm. that in Germany, if it rains or storms, there's no internet connection. Yeah, so our... Uh, our podcast could get interrupted today because it is exactly that outside. And as I kind of shared with you before we started this, uh, watching Netflix over the last couple of days has been a uh, questionable proposition indeed. And it's amazing that uh, we can't get this stuff right, but there we are. So, Okay. Yeah. So Risk check, right? Yeah, risk check. So why don't you start us off? Okay, today I'm um, not wearing a Speedmaster for a change because um, tomorrow I will leave together with Bert, or Bertie as we call him, mm-hmm. um, to uh, Japan for our last Speedy Tuesday event of this year. And uh, so it will be a full week of uh, Speedmaster wearing, so I thought I will wear some other watches uh, uh, in advance. And today I'm wearing my uh, Grand Seiko. Mm. Um, it's the, uh, the High Beat GMT. It's the SBJ201, I think, from the top of my head. I did a lengthy article on it uh, last year. And uh, yeah, every time I pick it up and wear it, it's difficult to uh, to get off my wrist again, to be honest. It's a really uh, neat, um, easy watch to wear. Yeah, they're beautiful, aren't they? Yeah, the dial is amazing. The Mount Iwate, I have the silver edition or yeah, silvery white. There's also a black edition, and I think there were some limiteds. There you go with that uh, in in different colors, but uh, yeah, I'm happy I I picked this one. Basically, it's a, uh, I think it's a very cool alternative for like a day just. Um, it's a bit more uh, a rare sight, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, the finish is, uh, is just amazing. But I think we uh, we wrote about uh, everything everything there is to know about the finishing on these watches. <laughs> yeah, it's re- it, it's really funny how over the last five years, I think sites like ours and certainly others were really 
doing everything possible to convince people of the the finishing and just the general build quality of these watches and how they're really priced well below high-end Swiss watches that are that are pretty similar and yeah, we no longer have to do that. I think the the word is finally out. And I mean it of course helps that the brand yeah. has expanded its boutiques and everything like that. So yeah, I heard they do quite well, uh, also especially in the US. Mm. And um, I was visiting Watches of Switzerland, the retailer in the US, and they told me that after Rolex and Patek, Grand Seiko is uh, number three of wow. their top-selling brands. Yeah, it's quite amazing to uh, to hear. That's a huge and turnaround then, for them. Yeah, yeah, with the the Snowflake uh, as an absolute number one, which I can imagine, to be honest. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you're right. Um, at a st- I think a lot of, of, of websites and my- magazines like ours, um, there was a lot of perhaps like over, like a flooding of, 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 of Grand Seiko stuff. Yeah. But I have the feeling, and especially I can only talk for us, of course, it was really um, because we feel it like this. We feel it is the truth and uh, we are very convinced ourselves about these watches. And um, uh, we, we didn't get paid for it or it, it, it's not a, like a, a ambassadorship or yeah, whatever. it's not sponsored for sure. No, it's unsponsored. It, it's really what we think of these watches and um, it's, it's very genuine. And I think that message also came across, um, I guess. Yeah, I mean, when I, I, I have one and I mean, you've seen it. It's the 44 GS they did about five, six years ago. It was a, a limited edition based upon that. You were early. Yeah. yeah. It... it I went to Japan to go buy a different uh, Grand Seiko because I just wanted to add one to the collection. And, you know, it was, it was sitting there and it was used in a, in a shop. And I just remember picking it up and they had a loop of course, and it was tremendous, just tremendous. Yeah. So yeah, beautiful watch. And I'm glad that they're uh, doing well now and they don't need that kind of uh, <laughs> force feeding, which I think a lot of people felt all of us were doing back in the day. Yeah, yeah, true. Yeah, we, we, we're not the only ones. Uh, uh, Gerard from our team also bought one. He bought a really nice one last year. Yeah, gorgeous it's watch. The, the, the smaller hand wound. I think it's the SBGW235 uh, mm. from the top of my head. These numbers are a bit... Um, Tough to, a bit, to uh, yeah, something tough to remember, but it's really nice, neat. I think thirty-six or thirty-seven millimeter hand wound, cream dial. It's amazing. Yeah, with, and the, with and this the, type of jubilee bracelet. Yeah, the bracelet is wonderful. I mean, if if you're giving it praise, then we know it has to be good. So, exactly. <laughs> okay, what are you wearing? Well, when it I, comes to watches, yeah, I'm I'm pretty proud to to say that I'm I'm wearing something that I. Honestly, I, if I slept wearing a watch, I, I would probably not take this off and, and you can completely relate, but I was fortunate enough a couple days ago to have picked up my gold Apollo 11 50th anniversary moon landing Speedmaster, and what a tremendous watch. I, I, I purposely kept myself away from looking at yours too much. Um, and also, you know, the prototype that you had since Basil, because I really wanted it to, to still provide that, uh, wow factor. And it completely has, um, what, what an amazing thing. And it's funny, of course, last night I went back and reread, well, 
it's funny. I reread the article I wrote on it, and then I went to you know sites like Hodinkee and things just to read their their initial impressions of it. And then I spent some time reading the comments, and you know the comments when this thing came out were were largely positive. Um, but there were also a lot of negatives there, and there were people saying, "Ah, you know, a thousand and fourteen pieces. They'll never get rid of these. Um, you'll see these things at half price in in a month." And uh, not that value is any indication of anything, but clearly wrong. Yeah, I, the, the, this watch has, um, I think, has has really um, convinced most people, and it's just beautifully made. And I like the fact that the nod to the moon landing is really all on the back. Uh, it's not, it's not obvious and you know, everything about it, the bracelet, just the, the, the color of the gold, the way the dial is finished. There, there are very, very few watches that I don't have to make some excuse for. And I really don't have to make an excuse on this one for anything. Um, yeah, it, it, it's tremendous. There's not a thing I would change about it. And that includes the sapphire crystal because I really feel like I can wear it without um, without being overly concerned about it, which is saying something for a watch that certainly costs this much and, and is made out of a precious metal. So I, I'm blown away. I know it's only two days, so it's a honeymoon period, but I don't think that it's going to fade. I really don't. Yeah, I uh, purposely let you finish. <laughs> <laughs> I agree on everything, and uh, um, on the on the last uh, thing you mentioned on the honeymoon phase, I got a prototype on the day it was introduced, March twelfth, and I was there during the introduction in Biel in Switzerland, and I think that's when I put in the order from myself, from you, from Bert, and um, yeah, it's amazing. And so I've been wearing the watch since uh, March, and then in July. Uh, my my own version was ready. I have a low number, so apparently they go by the number uh, in production, um, more or less. Um, yeah, I, I have been almost wearing it nonstop. It's a, an amazing watch, and it's still the honeymoon period, and I'm pretty sure this will never go over, to be honest. Mm-hmm. I think this could be very well my my, uh, my exit watch, as they uh, <laughs> as they call it. <laughs> And I have I have literally nothing to criticize about it. Some people, I think I, I didn't really read many of the comments uh, on other sites. Um, I know the, the it's always a thing about uh, sapphire versus hesalite or um, a, a aluminum bezel versus a ceramic bezel. Um, people said, oh, 40 millimeter clasp is too small. Well, it's not. And but especially, I think the the most commented thing was about the movement. Mm. People really expected the three, two, one to be in this movement. And to be honest, I didn't because it wouldn't make sense no, as the original one was one of the first with the with the eight six one, um, and the three eight six one. It it's like the the evolution of that, so that makes makes perfect sense. Um, they did a very nice job on the case back. I might have also expected them to do like a, a solid case back with the engraving as it as it was in uh, in 69 onwards for the gold version but um i think they they did a really nice um, um, solution there by putting a, a sapphire crystal on it and having the original text in there as well and putting the the lunar meteorite 
um, in the in the in the battle of the case back. Absolutely. And it's an amazing movement. It, it keeps perfect time. It's uh, the master chronometer uh, uh, certified one. And um, I didn't look it up. I know that Bert, uh, he looked up his numbers. If you if you uh, take the card from your uh, box, mm-hmm. you can make a profile on the Omega website and then you can enter the numbers and so on. And there you can see the the exact results of the uh, master chronometer oh, wow. certification okay. process. Cool. And there you can see the, the average deviation per day. And um, yeah, it was very low. So it's between zero and five seconds on average per day, which is which is pretty good. Yeah. Um, I have one other watch that is Master Chronometer certified, and it's exactly the same. It's amazing results shown, and it keeps perfect time. Um, but yeah, to, to me, that's not super relevant. It's about the watch and how it looks, basically. And yeah, it's yeah, perfect. It's perfect. And, and I always wear it, and I, n- I never really care about... Um, the, what you're wearing with it, you, or... What you're wearing with it, indeed, but also the wh- where you're going with it, to an event, or just outside, or... I don't know if I go to the the play garden with my daughter and wearing a polo shirt. I'm also wearing it. It's mm. and I can wear it for dinner. And it's not really people are not. Yeah, they see it's gold, but yeah, it, I think it's very nicely done. It's a bit of the pale color that um, that that makes it quite acceptable compared to uh, to a normal yellow gold. Yeah. Um, yeah, it just looks good and wears good. It's quite heavy, to be honest. Yeah, um, very. Heavy. Yeah, you get used to it. Yeah, yeah. No, it's an amazing watch. Good choice. I will uh, change my watch uh, after this uh, <laughs> podcast recording. <laughs> yeah. It, you know, the, the the funny thing about you mentioned about the versatility, I read one comment um, on one of the sites. People say, ah, th- this watch doesn't, you know, you, you can't wear it with, any, with everything. And I think when I picked it up, I was wearing like a chambray shirt and I thought, Wow, this goes perfectly. I mean, it it just there's very little that I could think uh, it, it wouldn't work with. So I couldn't disagree more emphatically that this isn't a uh, a versatile wear. So and I will test that out. So I, I really look forward to wearing it. So um, yeah, the only thing I did what I went to a campsite this year on a holiday, and that's where I left it in the in the safe deposit box. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was a bit too much, and uh, we weren't in a tent or anything. But still, it's a campsite. You leave your uh, your mobile home uh, when you go swimming or outside, and uh, especially when swimming, if you leave it behind, it's a bit too tricky. Yeah. So that's when I uh, took my uh, pro prof uh, with me, basically. And, uh, but I can tell you the day I came back after uh, hours of driving, the first thing I did is went to the safety deposit uh, thing and picked up the gold one. Yeah, I believe it. And that, that'll bring us to our first topic, which is related to gold speedmaster professionals in general. So yes. I, I, I think, um, Robert John, you've done a, a fantastic job of documenting the history of gold speed masters, you know, all the different variants, you own another one. Um, you've, you've covered both yellow gold, white gold. Um, and you know, currently there's no regular production yellow gold speed master in the lineup. And you always shared with me that in the past, it wasn't that long ago, these were never big sellers and they really didn't move very quickly and they kind of unceremoniously were dropped from the lineup. And, you know, I wanted to talk a little bit today because certainly with the new movement, with um, far greater interest in the Speedmaster than even five years ago, 
mm-hmm. uh, whether or not it makes sense to to bring one back. And I mean, I think you know my answer on this. Uh, but yeah, I wanted to wanted to hear your thoughts on that and whether whether you think it would make sense for Omega <clears throat> to bring one back. Yeah. So the last one, it's the one that is featured in the movie Money Monster with uh, George Clooney. Okay. He he wears the last reference basically that was uh, in gold, and we're talking about gold moon watches because they do gold watches with the with the ninety three hundred caliber family, so mm-hmm. the automatic ones. Um, but for as a moon watch, it was in production till two thousand twelve, which was like a regular moon watch, but in in full gold with a full gold bracelet. And um, I think Money Monster, it came out a few years ago, but definitely after 2012. And uh, he was wearing the watch in the movie. And um, I think he didn't get it through Omega directly, but through some retailer. So that also shows these weren't big sellers. They just were laying around, I guess. Yeah. Um, And I think that was the issue because I think they were relatively expensive also in 2012. I have to look it up. I don't know from the top of my head, but at least above 20,000 euros, um, which is still cheaper than the the anniversary model. But um, yeah, people weren't willing to to go that far. And perhaps it was also a time that perhaps gold watches were not Omega's uh, forte. Um, There's not, I think it's more like Rolex day date where people ended up with. Um, But I think with the new one, and also with the popularity of the old one in recent years and uh, the one I have from 1980, for example, it also went crazily up in, in, in demand and it's being quite sought, sought after. And looking at the prices of gold Speedmasters uh, on pre-owned ones on, on Corner 24, for example, you see that they have increased quite a bit. When I was looking for one in 2014, that's when I bought mine, there was a modern one, so also perhaps one of the last ones, on a leather strap, and they wanted 6,000 euros for it. <laughs> and I think I paid seven or 7,500 euros for my full gold, 18-karat uh, gold uh, uh, Speedmaster uh, on from 1980. On a bracelet, yeah. yeah. Um, so the prices <laughs> definitely have gone up. So it, it, it's what, like you said, it's not about the money, but the increase in price also shows something about the demand. And I think Omega is not blind and they, they also take take note of these things, of course. And um, I would not be surprised if uh, Gold Moonwatch will be back in the collection uh, soon, like a, a regular uh, Gold Moonwatch. So not a limited or whatever, but just one that's permanently in the collection. And of course, it, it will not have the the same amount of, of sales of the normal Moonwatch or uh, perhaps not as the... The anniversary model but uh, i think yeah it belongs in there and yeah. um and what i heard and i have pretty good sources <laughs> is that they did 1014 of the anniversary model but they could easily have sold double wow so that also shows a bit um uh, yeah, the demand for this watch or this type of watch and so i believe that the market is ready for a gold moon watch again yeah yeah i think uh, for sure, you know, if you look at Omega in the last five years with their boutiques and just the way the brand presents itself, it's definitely moved upwards in in standing, at least in my view. And now with this movement, mm-hmm. I think you're talking about something that um, really doesn't uh, doesn't doesn't make any apologies versus, let's say, a Daytona or you know anything that Breitling is making, etc. So. You know, before I can kind of understand. I mean, with the with the regular 
1861. It's a great movement, but it's quite a historic movement. This brings in the right amount of technology, I think, while still preserving the essence of, of a manual wind uh, movement. So I, I, I think, I think it would be neat to see one back. I mean, I, I certainly wish that I had capitalized on, on buying one of the older uh, pieces. And honestly, I mean, I would still look today, but when I go look for gold Speedmaster professionals or gold moon watches, there are very, very few uh, online for sale. There are just none out yeah. there. Yeah, you, you you find an, uh, a few of the the original Apollo eleven uh, sixty nine ones. And then on I think on Corona twenty four, I saw two of the nineteen eighty ones that I have and that that Bert also has. Mm-hmm. But they have, yeah, they have become um, um, quite rare and uh, quite pricey. Um, but yeah, I yeah, I'm a. It would be it will be interesting to see where it goes and uh, if if it will come back. I know that um, uh, Gerard um, he's not much in favor of the of the one that we have. <laughs> he want he want of course he wants one with a with a black dial and a black bezel, um, like it was basically a few years ago. Yeah. And he said, well, if that comes back, then uh, I might pull the trigger uh, on it because that's uh, yeah, that's more something that he would like to uh, to have. Well, yeah. Let's hope. Yeah, I'm. Uh, yeah, in the meanwhile, I'm. Uh, I'm looking a bit on on corner twenty four, and it's indeed there's. Uh, it's not much. Out I there, saw one yesterday. I saw one of the most recent models for something like twenty five thousand or something like that. Yeah, yeah, it's really expensive. It's, uh, and then there's what, what the the model or uh, or diva watchmaker has the uh, what was this the uh, anniversary? Yeah, a ninety. Yeah, ninety two. I think anniversary model um, for the. Original caliber three through one, mm. which is based on the Lamania, which was introduced in 1942. So yeah, it was 1992 for 50 years, mm. and there are only like a thousand of these around. Yep. And um, yeah, un- until recently, they-, they could be picked up for below 10,000. And I think I wrote it in some article, but I don't know what the prices are uh, today. It-, it fluctuates a bit. I think but I saw certainly not coming down. Yeah, I saw one. I think also on Chrono 24 for something like 12 or 13. So yeah. So they've crept up as well. Yeah, so. grab it while you can. Well, good. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, so let's shift gears a little bit. Um, yeah. Go ahead. No, no, go ahead. Um, yeah. So, so I, I mentioned, I think on on one of our prior podcasts that I had spent some time with Breitling in June at a mm-hmm. uh, at a workshop that I really can't say much about, just looking at future products. Uh, but you had the opportunity to attend a more public event uh this past week so why don't you tell us a little bit about what you saw yeah so uh when the george can uh came on board as ceo together with uh, the uh, cvc um, the other shareholders um they decided to do um uh, these summits and uh, summits is where they show new collection and um, communicate the roadmap that they have with press so that would be us but also with their retailers so it's a, a mix of, of retailers and press and i think these events are a few times per year in different regions and i think the first one was a year and a half ago in zurich and uh, they did one in london last year and this year um well you had a workshop but it's not part of the brightling summit then they did one in la a few weeks ago and last week they did one in zurich 
which is basically the same uh, event. And they showed the new uh, Avenger collection, the new Super Ocean, um, the Mosquito, the Aviator 8. Mm -hmm. And um, they showed the new um, uh, straps that they have, these kind of NATO straps from uh, eco-friendly material. Fishing nets, yeah. And uh, I have to say the reason... Yeah, the responses were very good on basically everything. Uh, what I found funny is that a lot of the press and and also uh, from the press, uh, there are some collectors that I that I know, and uh, they were very um, um, happy or yeah, they, they really liked the the mosquito, the mm -hmm. Aviator Eight. Yeah, I like. But it. when I talked to the retail, when I talked to the retailers, they said, "No, nah, that mosquito. Who buys that? <laughs> uh, we we really like the Avengers." <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Well, that's a big product. So there's for a them, little. Right? It's, I think it's a big. It's, I think it's bread and butter, and um, it's a, it's a big seller for I think non collectors. To be honest, like it's a very easy daily wearer. To yeah. be honest, yeah. um, so I get that. And the mosquito is of course a bit more aimed at collectors, and that's not really a big market for uh, for retailers, I assume. But I also have to say I like the Super Ocean in green with the with the NATO strap. That is really a neat watch. Yeah, it looks cool. Looks really good. Yeah. Then they had some specials because uh, yeah, it's also uh, never ending with uh, with Breitling as well with with specials and limiteds. Uh, they have one with the Swiss uh, like a pilot team, mm -hmm. which is re really neat. It was red and yellow patch um they didn't have it on display it was on the wrists of the pilots who were there basically but they didn't have it on display so i was not able to to take a take a picture in my uh, mobile photo uh, light box um but yeah i have to say i like the, the avenger chronograph in green it, it looks I, I i put a picture picture on my um on my personal instagram at rj brewer and um People, well, it was a bit of a 50-50 mix, mm -hmm. uh, the responses or the feedback. Uh, people said, oh, it's huge, it's large. But I think that's mainly had to do with the, with the, with the iPhone camera, that it um, is like a wide-angle uh, yeah. lens. It distorted. So people, oh, there's like 48 or 50. No, it's 45. And yeah, I lost some weight, but not that much. <laughs> so it's... Uh, <laughs> So no, it's forty-five. It's very uh, f quite uh, wearable. It's, it's relatively thick, I have to say. But um, and the green super ocean was uh, was super nice as well. And um, I will do an article um, very shortly uh, uh, with some of the models that we uh, we saw last week. Yeah. But I think yeah, it looked nice. Uh, Karen had a nice story to it. Um, yeah, he really uh, thought things through. It seems they have a clear distinction between their land, sea, and and air. Um, purposes and they they are working with these uh, uh, like squats movie squat uh, um, surf flight squad, squat and so on. Yeah. surf squat I think it works um, for them uh, it attracts certain people who are I, I guess following these 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 kind of uh, activities they had a young guy probably not even 20 that uh, flies these drones as a in, in, com in competition uh, oh, form yeah, yeah. and uh, so he's also on a on a flight squad Okay. And um, yeah, I think that that is interesting to see that they try to to target perhaps today's non wearing non watch wearing people that are quite young but into drones or for example and and yeah it's interesting uh, approach. Um, what I always find difficult is to connect a watch brand or a certain watch to a face. I think we uh, we discussed it uh, before, yeah. but um, I can see 
connecting to certain uh, activities yeah. like they do with, with surfing or flying um, movies. Um, so that, that kind of makes sense. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I think, you know, I think they're the first year or so when uh, Kern was there, they, they had some releases, but obviously you knew it was going to take more than that amount of time to, to really get things flowing. And yeah, they changed a bit, eh? yeah. based on the feedback from from uh, collectors and press and, and retailers. And I think on uh, Kern's own Instagram account, <laughs> he ch- he changed a couple of things on the watches that he uh, that he showed during the first summit in Zurich. Absolutely. So I think that's nice that they they're listening that he really listens to the to the market, and um, more brands should be doing that. To be honest, yeah, they're, they're and and. You know, you saw Watch Fred there give a give a discussion, obviously on the vintage side, and you know they've they've really done. I think they've done a really good job of bringing that heritage piece in um, that they were missing for so long, while still, yeah, playing to the prior crowd, or I should say, the crowd that that was there before that um, that does like these larger watches, and and to your point, that is kind of their bread and butter. So. They, they've managed to add the the vintage feel and look back on their catalog, which is a rich catalog, uh, while still you know not not alienating uh, the core core buyer group. So, and and their boutiques look good. Uh, I'm yeah, you know the the whole squad uh, approach I think is um, it's interesting, it's different, and to your point, uh, the activity piece of 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 trying to to relate that to a watch is i i think it's a good idea i think i think it's probably working pretty well for them so it's nice to see yeah i asked them about uh, if they can if if they can share any results and it seems that um compared to last year sales have been up with 50 percent 50 oh wow and that's yeah, um, so I, I repeated the question a bit because that is a lot. Mm. And they were talking about uh, the last, uh, last three months as of today compared to the same in the same period of 2018. But still, that's I think that's quite amazing right. if, they, uh, if they really um, increase uh, achieve an increase. that results. And, uh, yeah, it's amazing. Especially and, with... Uh, Well-deserved. Especially with a place like Hong Kong, obviously, in turmoil, so... Exactly. Their their main target is uh, their most important market today is uh, the U.S. They told me, and their main target is uh, China. But I think he uh, Karen communicated that before as well. But he st- stressed again that um, yeah, China is their main uh, main goal. Yeah. yeah. Well, good. That's great. All right. Well, let's move on and let, let's move to another brand here that that uh, came out with uh, some news over the last week or so, and that's Seiko and and Grand Seiko. They they came out with news of three different limited edition watches. So there was a new Grand Seiko that uh, has a a tie-in to, I believe it's the 65th anniversary of Godzilla and the 20th anniversary of Spring Drive. And then there are two Seiko chronograph limited editions, one celebrating the 55th anniversary of Seiko chronographs and the other celebrating the 50th anniversary of the automatic chronograph, because as most of you know, Seiko was the other of uh, the trio out there along with Zenith and then kind of the consortium of Breitling, Hoyer, Buren, Hamilton uh, with their caliber 11 that debuted an automatic chronograph in 1969. 
So, yeah. you know, let, let's talk a little bit about each of these. I mean, I, I would say um, with all three, just as kind of a general comment, uh, they're they're nice watches. They're, uh, of course, beautifully made. And they're, as we've seen with Seiko, not inexpensive uh, when they're when they're doing things at this level. Um, but, but for me, I have to say, uh, for the first time in a while, uh, they, they released three watches that, you know, none of them will be on my short list to, to go and pick up. So we'll, we'll give a little information about, about the, especially the Seiko chronographs in particular, but RJ, what do, what do you think about these three watches? I have seen the three chronographs a while ago in the embargo, and we did some pictures uh, back then. And um, I have to say that I like the chronographs. Um, there's a Presage one. Mm. And there is uh, the other one that celebrates the 50th anniversary of the automatic um, the uh, chronograph that like yeah. you just uh, said. Yeah, the prospects. Um, I think that's my favorite. The Presage is a bit... Um, yeah, it's a bit bulky. Mm-hmm. I find in the design, it's uh, based on uh, on an original uh, uh, chronograph. Um, the fifty. I think it will be in one of your yeah. one of your articles. It, it was in uh, some. Um, the fifty seven nineteen, the mono pusher from sixty four. Yeah. Yeah. So it it, it shows uh, a lot of. Um, yeah, there's a mono pusher at ten o'clock. It shows a lot of resemblance with that, uh, except for the <laughs> missing subdials on the original one. Sure, but I I think it's nicely inspired and it looks nice. But I don't like all the different layers on the dial. Mm. Um, what I like about the, the the panda one is basically well that it is a panda, a bit of a crooked one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I like to watch. To be honest, it's a very nice watch. I think the price is something I have to get used to. Yeah. But I also I cannot criticize the price either when i look at the at the build quality of the watch sure so i think 3700 euros is a lot of money but if you look at the quality and the finish of the watch yeah what can i say i I cannot say oh it's worth 2000 no i can't because it's really really well done um yeah it's a bit thick to be honest but i had it on my wrist and it's uh yeah i i like the design perhaps on a leather strap it would be give it a bit more justice the the dial Mm. but um yeah, um, I think I was more uh, enthusiastic than, uh, than than you are. Yeah. So so both of these watches use the 8R48 movement, which is, by all accounts, a fantastic movement. It runs at 28.8. It's, uh, you know, known to be incredibly robust. It's, you know, vertical clutch, column wheel. Column wheel. It, it really yep. ticks all the boxes. But I'll draw a comparison here, much like um, the Omega... Uh, I think you said the 9300 series of, of chronograph movements. It's a, it's a thick movement and the, the prospects model that they uh, put in here uh, is, is 16 millimeters thick, which is, that's huge. Um, and uh, I, I don't know. I, I mean, we see this more and more today with, with modern chronograph movements. They, they tend to be quite thick. Um, what, I, I guess there's, and, and I mentioned this in the article, I guess what, what frustrates me a little bit with this model is that it is very close to a 2014 limited edition that came out in titanium. I mean, the dials are almost uh, identical. And then... Yeah, it's really in the details, the difference. If you look at uh, pictures of the, the, the 2014 one and the new one, it's, it's very similar, but then 
yeah, we asked uh, Seiko about it and they said, yeah, but there was titanium, Japan, domestic model only and so on and so on. And that's true. But yeah, if you, you look at the watch, at the face and how it looks, and then it's it's nearly the same. So it's a bit uh, too close call. Yeah, and I, and I, and I think, and, and I mentioned this in my article, anytime Seiko does a limited edition, I think it's, uh, yeah, it, it gets a lot of attention and there's certainly a lot of opinion, but when they choose to do something that is really history-based and is celebrating a milestone, then you drag in people like myself who have a very strong opinion on how that uh, that history should be treated. And there's no doubt about it with all the other brands out there, a lot of the other brands celebrating this 50th anniversary of the automatic chronograph. Um, and then, of course, okay, not really related to it, but you have the moon landing this year. You, you have a lot of big events that are 50th anniversaries this year. So there's a lot of expectation about the product that will come out. And when I speak to Seiko fans, they were certainly waiting for something. And I'm not sure if that if this was it. Um, a lot of people had Pogue in the mind, so something yellow, um, something very 70s. And on, on the one hand, um, I was kind of in that camp. On the other hand, I can kind of appreciate that Seiko probably didn't want to create a watch that was so polarizing and perhaps would only appeal to a very few people. Those few people, by the way, would probably be the same ones who would complain heavily about something over 3000 euros. So in the end, you could be left with a, a really cool inspired watch that just sits on the shelf. So I, I, I get it playing a little bit safe. Um, there's one other thing I, I'll mention, and this is, well, on, on the one hand, I guess kind of a very geeky detail, but I don't think it is. Um, in 1969, so Seiko came out with their their 6139 uh, movement, which was a single register automatic chronograph. And it was actually 1970 that they came out with the 6138, which had the uh, the two uh, sub-registers. And mm-hmm. this model actually pays tribute to a model that came out in 1970, which was not their first automatic chronograph. So it feels just feels strange to me. Um, I, I totally get it that they didn't want to create a single register chronograph, uh, but to, to base it on a model that is, let's say in in 2019, 49 49 years old (laughs) and not 50, it just feels strange. It feels really strange. So still on the good side of 50. Yeah. Yeah. So, so it was just an odd choice. Um, yeah. The other one I think is, I actually like better because I think it stylistically is a little bit more more true kind of wish they had left the date window off just to, just to keep it out of there. And I think the presage text is a little big, but, but I like the look of it overall. Uh, so I don't, I don't know. It, it was just sort of two, two editions that were, that kind of leave me very neutral, uh, which is yeah. not normal. So for me, <laughs> not, not for me. Yeah. So yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. If I, if I can agree with you, because uh, if I look uh, primarily at the watch itself, I think it's uh, it's a not a definitely not a bad release. Quality is there. Yeah, the, the cases are a bit thick, but I think in the past, also in the seventies, yeah, they were and sixties, they were thick. True, so, true, very yeah. good point. So I think, yeah, you really have to try it, and if the, if the watch speaks to you, then uh, why not? But yeah, historically, uh, there's uh, there are some uh, some awkward things going on there. Yeah. Uh, but it's also not easy if you want to to celebrate like like 
everything you do and did. Yeah. <laughs> at some point, uh, the well is a bit dry, sure. and then you have to to, to make uh, concessions here and there. Yeah. Um, How about the, the Godzilla? <laughs> I have to say, I don't care for Godzilla. I don't think I even have watched a movie or whatever. I'm not that of a movie buff. Um, I like it. Yeah, the colors are great. They're really, really colors great. Are amazing. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, and I like the face shape, and uh, it's it's yeah, it's like it's very cool. Yeah, we, um, we saw these but, models. Yeah, I'm not a Godzilla fan, or there's no relationship with me and and and, and that. But yeah, for from if I again, if I pr- primarily look at the watch. Um, I like it. Yeah. I, I, so, so when I first saw this, I, I just didn't quite get the, uh, the combination of, of Godzilla and 20th, uh, spring drive. And it, it's still kind of like a, a weird tie in, but apparently just for those out there who maybe saw the watch and didn't really read about it, but, uh, so, so Seiko since the early fifties has had a flagship, store for its watches in the Ginza district of Tokyo, which is a, a very high-end district, very famous district. And that's the Waco, yeah, building, the Waco right? building, which has a famous tower um, on top with a clock. And yeah. in the one of these early Godzilla movies, or in the first movie, I guess, uh, Godzilla destroys this tower. So uh, th- th- there is a little bit of a, a relationship there. And on the back, actually, an artist... Um, depicts Godzilla destroying this building um, kind of on the display back. So you can still see the movement, but you've got this sort of um, uh, black uh, view of Godzilla doing that. And it, it it's neat. Uh, the, the more I think about this one, uh, the more I like it. And it has a really cool shark strap that kind of looks like Godzilla's skin, kind of lizardy looking, which is, uh, which is cool. Uh, the, the, the reddish dark red is meant to evoke the, uh, the heat ray beam that comes out of Godzilla's mouth when he's destroying things. So wh- whatever you, th- whatever you think about the tie in, uh, the build quality, the, the colors and everything are going to be fantastic. Uh, it's just a question of whether, whether you like the look of the watch and, okay, it's 12,700 euros. So this is really not for everyone, but uh, we took a look at, I think the, the models within this family at Basel this year. And yeah, there, there's no, there's no disappointment when you're looking at the the finishing and the dial work on these. So yeah, yeah. it's cool. For me, it's, it's uh, to be super honest. And I think we always are on, uh, on Fratello is I think at some point the price can work against uh, Grand Seiko. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, because in the past it was like a super, super uh, high end, but a great deal. End and, a great and, deal. A great deal. Yeah. Uh, an amazing deal. A uh, good value for money. The fin- especially the finish on the case, the, 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 the hands, the, the dial, the hour markers, everything. It was uh, very uh, above par compared to Swiss brands. And uh, I've seen Fashion uh, Constantin doing a worse job. Um, but then if you, if you increase the prices of these, these watches to like 12,700 euros, mm. then at some point it gets a bit, uh, narrow, so to speak, it gets a bit, uh, difficult to, <laughs> to, yeah. to more difficult to make a decision based on, uh, on, 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 on price. And, um, 
yeah, I think that they should, but that's just my opinion. But uh, yeah, I feel that they were very much of a great deal with the, with the snowflake, with the GMT high beats, mm. with, the, with the one that Gerard has, with the hand round movement. But what we saw this year in Basel, and now again the Godzilla version for over 12K. Yeah, expensive. Uh, I think that's a lot of that. Yeah, that's a lot of money. And I think um, perhaps they target a new type of customer, but I think they will also not get the typical, Grand if you can speak of typical, uh, Grand Seiko buyers. Sure. The, the, the kind of very deeply knowledgeable person who knows that they're buying something that's, yeah, like you say, on par or better than something costing double. And I guess at 12700 it's tough to make that uh, make that claim because, yes. yeah, you're, yeah, you're at a very a high level. Out. Yeah. That regard, yeah. yeah, but but <laughs> yeah. I but I would bet they'll do very well in Japan. Honestly, they're they're that's a country that's really yeah, really six, passionate. Six hundred and fifty only. So I guess they uh, they uh, will they will sell out definitely. I'm not a uh, not afraid of that. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so l- let's move on and let's hit a reader question. question. Yeah, so Martin from the UK asked us uh, if our wives also wear high-end watches. And I don't know, RJ, do you want me to shall start or do you about, want to start? Shall we only talk about our own wives and <laughs> leave the wife of the others <laughs> outside? <laughs> yeah, probably, probably. Yeah. Um, no, you start. Go ahead. Okay. Go ahead. So it's very interesting question and i can still remember going on the first date with my wife Um, i met her when i moved over to germany and when we sat down as i do with a lot of people i always look at their watch uh, not to judge them but i'm just naturally drawn and my wife was wearing a um, she was wearing a rolex oyster perpetual so she was wearing Jeez, RJ, you're going to have to help on this. But it, it it was one of these models that came out about 10 or 12 years ago when Rolex really revamped that line and the Air King. And they kind of had these round dials on, on or round um, designs on the dials with Arabic numerals. Yeah, 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 yeah. So kind of like yeah. a bullseye. And yeah. and I thought, oh, wow, that's pretty cool. But um, and And she still wears that. But she, um, I, I ended up buying my wife um, a stainless steel Datejust uh, before the birth of our daughter. Uh, Americans will be familiar with this idea of a push present, which is kind of kind of <laughs> ridiculous. But it coincided with her birthday and, and a number of other things. And honestly, um, my wife is wonderful, so I thought, yeah, let's let's make this a really big celebration. So I, I ended up buying a stainless steel. Date just here in Frankfurt on Jubilee with the fluted white gold bezel, which at that time was the 116200, which has since uh, been replaced by the 126200, um, which is pretty yeah, similar. I think the, the white gold, the white gold version with the Jubilee is a 116234. Ah, when I 234. Think of it. Thank you. Yeah. And yeah, it was um, a watch that you could walk in and buy. Um, I originally wanted the mm-hmm. one with the red date wheel, but they didn't have that. And they were actually, but believe it or not, this is incredible. This is an AD that actually was willing to negotiate on the price of a, of a stainless steel Rolex um, because, yeah, they had that one in stock. And, and I chose it, and it's a fantastic watch. Amazingly, 
because I do wear an older 36 millimeter date just. I've not worn my wife's watch once, even though it, it would fit me perfectly. Um, so she wears that. I mean, since then I've, uh, picked her up a, a really lovely, uh, Oris Diver 65 with the bronze bezel and stainless bracelet that she wears sometimes. And then she also wears the Tokyo 2020, uh, Speedmaster that we've called the rising sun. And yeah. she loves it, but I, I think, and I, and I, I don't want to give your, uh, your story away, RJ, but my wife very much wears what I lay out for her. So if I did not switch up the watch for her, she would probably wear the date just until the end of time. Okay. So. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a nice story. It's, it's a bit different here. My wife was not at all into watches when I met her. She uh, was wearing this, uh, I think a fossil or something um, like a design watch. And, um, but yeah, quickly enough. Uh, yeah. She knew that I was into watches. Uh, I already started Fratello when I met her, I think. Yeah in 2004 and um i think one of the first watches i bought her for her birthday was a tag heuer aqua aqua razor okay. for ladies so very small but she liked it i always when i bought a watch for her i only bought watches for her that she pointed out herself that she liked it because otherwise i find it too difficult even though you know someone pretty well to buy something like a watch um, because yeah, it's quite a personal thing. You wear it every day, um, so I always paid good attention when she told me that she liked a specific watch or she didn't like a specific watch. Mm-hmm. Um, the next watch I bought for her was basically my uh, proposal watch for her mm-hmm. uh, in two thousand eight. In two thousand nine, we married, and so ten years ago, almost on October thirty. Congratulations! Uh, yeah, thank you. Um, and I proposed to her with Christmas 2008, and I bought a Rolex Explorer for her, the 36 millimeter. The 114270, um, right? Yes, correct. Nice. Uh, because she she told me once that she liked that watch a lot. And there was a Cartier, uh, I think it was a tank, mm-hmm. Tank Francoise with a bracelet that she liked a lot. Um but she's not really into brands. But every time we stood in front of a display, display at a or a window at a retailer, you know how it goes. Sure. Then I asked her what she liked, and she pointed out these two watches a few times. Um, but for me, then I was I was I, I I didn't care that much myself whether it would be a Cartier or a, or a Rolex. But I looked at the case backs if there would be space enough to have an engraving. Ah, okay. So um, the Cartier is completely fully engraved with Cartier stuff. Mm. So that was an easy, uh, yeah, an easy uh, dropout. So I went with the Rolex Explorer and um, I had it engraved by a friend of mine who is a goldsmith and watchmaker. Oh, nice. And I had it engraved with uh, Will You Marry Me, but then in Dutch. Mm-hmm. And I gave it to her on first Christmas Day 2008. And... Um, I also bought a ring. I well, I bought a diamond, and I had a ring made by the same guy who did the engraving. Oh wow! And uh, so I had that as well because girls like like rings, I guess, and diamonds. Um, but yeah, I gave her the watch. But I made one mistake. Um, girls or ladies, they don't look at the back of the watch. I was watch. about to say, <laughs> did you hand it over and say, "Can you look at the case back, please"? <laughs> you don't get to yeah, keep well, it unless you uh, say yes. <laughs> 
So she looked at it and she just put it on her wrist and she said, oh, thank you. Very nice. And it's such an expensive present for Christmas. I said, yeah, well, look, have a closer look. Yeah, yeah, very nice. And she looked at the dial and said, well, take it off again. And and then she found the engraving. And um, um, of course, the answer was yes, 10 years ago. Yeah. And um, so I also gave her the ring. And um, um, so, yeah, so we married uh, a few months later. Then I bought her when our daughter uh, Charlotte was born in 2013. Um, hence, my favorite number is also 13 mm-hmm. on limited edition watches. Um, I gave her a push present, and it was my friend uh, Johan. Uh, I know he's listening. Uh, that made me aware of this term push present, like you uh, <laughs> you explained. Yeah. Um, and I bought her a Speedmaster, and it's also a watch that she pointed out to me at some point when we were at an Omega boutique. Um, I think the Omega boutique in Cannes, in France, um, that she really liked. So I bought that at uh, Ace Jewelers, at uh, uh, Alon, Alon's uh, shop. And um, so I gave that to her on the day that my daughter was born. So on 31st of May, 2013, I had the watch picked up um, um well on a before <laughs> and uh i brought it with me and i uh we knew she was going to be born on uh, may 31st so i uh, had uh, the warranty card uh, stamped on that date as well oh, wow. and it's a good friend and or one of our editors today Jorg, who picked up the watch for me because i had to stay with my wife of course absolutely <laughs> so that was the push present and so Till then, I owe, and she, she got a Speedy Tuesday, uh, the first one. Oh, nice. Uh, her issue is um, uh, she has very uh, pretty uh, like small wrists, so the, the standard strap is too long for her. Mm. So she, uh, she, do, she hardly, hardly wears it. Um, the Speedmaster that she does wear is, I think, 38 or perhaps 40, if you inc- include the crown guard. The automatic, yeah. Uh, millimeter. Yeah, and the 36, uh, the Explorer she has is perfect size. But until then, I always bought watches for her. And then to my big surprise last year, um, we were invited to play golf and look at golf at the European Masters in Grand Montana in uh, in Switzerland with Omega. And we had lunch with uh, the president, um, uh, Reynald Ashleyman. And... Um, he asked my wife if she saw a nice watch or what, and if did she uh, saw something that she liked um, in the collection. And my wife, she saw indeed a watch from, I think it was the lady responsible for all, all the boutiques in France. Mm-hmm. She was wearing this uh, this lady Matic watch, small round watch um, with a with a, um, a new in house caliber movement inside with a display back. And uh, my wife liked, she was sitting next to her uh, during a dinner and she told me, oh, I really like that watch. And um, and she told me that she was looking for a watch with a pink dial. And she had been looking at the Dejus with a pink dial. And I think there was Aquaterra or something with a pink dial, but she she wasn't aware of this Lady Matic. And it's also not a watch that I pictured her liking because it's quite classic and my wife is relatively sporty. Mm-hmm. So... Um, I didn't expect her to to like it so much, but then at the during the the lunch with uh, with Reynald, she said, "Yeah, I really like the the pink dial, um, Lady Matic. So please, can you order it for me?" So it's the first time she ordered a, an expensive watch for herself. So I was very uh, happy that she uh, <laughs> that she did, and it was her own choice, and and it shows that it's 
absolutely not the watch I would pick for her. <laughs> yeah, so, but it was her own taste. It's her own taste. She wears it almost on a on a daily basis. She bought in uh, France last year during holidays. She bought a pink leather strap with satin finish with a folding clasp for it at the Omega boutique. Oh, nice. Yeah, it looks awesome. It's very pink, but she, yeah, it's, it's it's very nice and uh, keeps good time. And I think what's also nice, and I don't think she even knows, is that my grandmother bought a Lady Matic in the 60s, an original one. Mm. And it's still in the family. So I think for myself, it's very nice that my wife also bought a <laughs> bought a Lady yeah. Matic. It's a nice uh, she ret- nod to the past. She returned to that but, without uh, my- any without any prompting, yeah. which is really, she- yeah. Exactly, and she didn't know, and she still doesn't know, I guess. Um, but yeah, it's a, for me, it's a nice, a nice thing to to know for myself. But um, yeah, so she has a Tag Heuer, she has her Omegas, uh, two Speedmasters, and uh, the Lady Matic that she basically wears most of the time. Oh, that's cool. Good. Yeah. Well, so I, these are our yeah. I, I, I think ladies' watches. I think um, our wives both uh, probably through us. Uh, We'll, we'll always wear something somewhat interesting, um, and their their interest probably is nowhere near our level. But yeah, I, I, I'm sure in your case, I mean, my wife certainly appreciates watches. Uh, she she kind of always did, but probably appreciates them more than she than she ever did. Sometimes she really doesn't appreciate yeah. them. I can tell you that. <laughs> so, oh, my wife hated my Royal Oak. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she felt it was a watch for old people. She really didn't like it. Yeah, my yeah. my two tone uh, root beer uh, Rolex, not a fan. I can tell you. <laughs> <laughs> well, they have to deal with it exactly. So, well, great. Okay, well, hopefully that answers the question there. And I think RJ, that that's a wrap for us. So this is this is uh, yeah. Good. Keep the questions coming. Send them to info at fratellowatches.com Absolutely. And, uh, or send a direct message to us and we will we'll be happy to, to pick one and answer one in this podcast. Also make sure to visit our YouTube channel. You can find the little YouTube logo on our website, fratellowatches.com or fratello.com. Uh, both uh, will work. And uh, please subscribe. We have a embarrassing low number of uh, subscribers there, but uh, the, the good reason is that we just started doing this. And we will um, expanding uh, the number of our videos in the near future. Um, but we also, of course, continue with this podcast. So, yeah, please keep the comments uh, coming and um, keep sending in your questions. Yeah. So, and as always, if you're interested in what RJ is doing, uh, follow him at RJ Brewer on Instagram. And I'm at Mike in Frankfurt. And, of course, you have the Fratello feed, which... I suppose by the time people start to listen to this or shortly thereafter, they'll get to see a little bit of the exploits in Japan. Have a great week, and we'll be back soon. Thanks. Bye-bye.